Welcome to the Wise Crone Cottage Podcast with storyteller Kathy Shimpock. Here we'll meet the crone and uncover her wisdom as found in fairy tales, folk tales, and myths. For it is true that stories, as it is with many people, become better as they grow older. Know that no matter how difficult your journey has been through the magical forest, the wise crone always opens her door to you. In this episode, we'll explore the crone's role as a midwife in Irish and European folktales. The story I will share with you is called Midwife to the Fairies. In this story, we'll learn more about the crone and even more about those disagreeable fairies. Finally, we'll ponder medieval midwifery and in doing so, perhaps uncover some healing wisdom for today. A great while ago, when the world was full of wonders. Not long ago, a friend gave me a deck of archetype cards created by Nick Bantock called the Archio. Included in the deck is a midwife card. Depicted as an old woman, we see in the midwife's body an unborn child. Bantock writes, The midwife draws from a deep font of female knowledge. She is the facilitator the mother to your muse, and an advisor to your craft. She will help you develop the lucidity of your language, give rhythm to your music, and breathe vibrancy into your painting. With her guidance, your works will be filled with vitality, but without her, your attempts at creation will be as dead as clay golems. I was inspired by these words and the imagery of the card. The crone as the midwife assists the birth of life, dreams, and creative desires. That's a grand mission, isn't it? And so, I went in search for stories of the midwife. Sadly, I found none in which she tended and nurtured dreams. But I did find a series of European stories in which the midwife helped a fairy give birth. I guess that will have to do for now. There are two variants to the story. The first is the tale of an old woman who is awakened at night to assist in the birth of a fairy baby. In some of these stories, she is rewarded for her efforts, while in others, she is punished for her curiosity. The second variant begins with two young girls chatting outside. When they see a toad, one girl comments that if the toad had a baby, she would be its godmother. The other joked that she would be the cook. Soon thereafter, an old woman summoned them to the baptism of the toad's child. It was an innocent comment, which proved unfortunate. This is a tale of two foolish girls who have not yet learned that words have consequences. Our story, instead, is the one of the midwife and her adventure with the fairies. In Ireland, folklore warns us not to go messing about fairies. It's something even this old woman will learn, as you'll see in this story. The story I share is from Mrs. Bray's book, The Borders of the Tamar and the Tavi, written in 1879. 
If you are interested in a fuller discussion of these story variants, I'd like to refer you to the article Midwife to the Fairies, the Irish Variants in their Scottish and Scandinavian Perspective, written by Cryostar McCartog. But now, a story. Not in my time, not in your time, but in the wise crone's time. Once upon a time, there was, in this celebrated town, a dame somebody. I do not know her name. All I would truth can say is that she was old, and nothing the worse for that, for age is, or ought to be, held in honor as the source of wisdom and experience. Now this good old woman lived not in vain, for she had passed her days in the useful capacity of a nurse, and as she approached the term of going out of the world herself, she was still useful in her generation by helping others into it. She was, in fact, the sage femme of the village. One night about twelve o'clock in the morning, as the good folks say who tell this tale, Dame Somebody had just got comfortable into bed when came on her cottage door. With such bold, loud, and continued noise that there was a sound of authority in every individual knock. Startled and alarmed by the call, she arose and soon learnt that the summons was a hasty one to bid her attend on a patient who needed her help. She opened her door, when the summoner appeared to be a strange, squint-eyed, little ugly old fellow who had a look, as she said, very like a certain dark personage who ought not at all times be called by his proper name. And just to be clear, that name was not Voldemort. Not at all prepossessed in favor of the errand by the visage of the messenger, she nevertheless could not or dared not resist the command to follow him straight and attend upon his wife. Thy wife, thought the good dame, heaven forgive me, but as sure as I live, I'm going to the birth of a little dive. A large coal-black horse with eyes like balls of fire stood at the door. The ill-looking old fellow, without more ado, whisked her up on a high pillion in a minute, seated himself before her, and away went horse and riders, as if sailing through the air rather than trotting on the ground. How Dame Somebody got to the place of her destination? She could not tell, but it was a great relief to her fears when she found herself set down at the door of a neat cottage, saw a couple of tidy children, and remarked her patient to be a decent-looking woman, having all things about her fitting the time and the occasion. A fine, bouncing babe soon made its appearance and seemed 
very bold on its entry into life, for it gave the good dame a box on the ears. As, with the coaching and cajolery of all good old nurses, she declared the sweet little thing to be very like its father. The mother said nothing to this, but gave nurse a certain ointment, with directions that she should strike the child's eyes with it. Now, you must know that the word strike, in our Devonshire vocabulary, does not exactly mean to give a blow, but rather what is opposite, to rub, smooth down, or touch gently. The nurse performed her task, though she thought it an odd one, and as it was nothing new that old nurses are generally very curious, she wondered what it could be for, and thought that, as no doubt it was a good thing, she might just as well try it upon her own eyes, as well as those of the baby. So, she made free to strike one of them by way of trial, when, Oh, ye powers of fairyland, what change was there? The neat but homely cottage and all who were in it seemed all of a sudden to undergo a mighty transformation, some for the better, some for the worse. The new-made mother appeared as a beautiful lady attired in white. The babe was seen wrapped in swaddling clothes of a silvery gauze. It looked much prettier than before, but still maintained the elfish cast of the eye, like its redoubted father. Whilst two or three children, more had undergone a metamorphosis as uncouth as that recorded by Ovid when the Seraphians were transformed into apes. For there sat on either side of the bed sat a couple of little fiat-nosed imps who with mops and mows and with many a grimace and a grin were busied to no end in scratching their own poles or in pulling the fairy lady's ears with their long and hairy paws. The dame, who beheld all this, fearing she knew not what in the house of enchantment, got away as fast as she could without saying one word about striking her own eye with the magic ointment and what she had beheld in consequence of doing so. The writer of this tale reported that it was a popular belief that no mortal could see a fairy without his eyes being rubbed with a magic ointment. It was certainly true for the old woman, although it is certain she wished she had not seen them at all. Now, we don't know if the crone was paid for her service or not, but sometimes the midwife was rewarded with the sweepings behind the door, and if she was the wise crone, she'd brush those sweepings into her apron without losing ne'er a bit. But if she was a foolish old woman, she'd throw those sweepings away before she even made it home, losing the goal the sweepings later turned into. The sour-looking old fellow once more handed her up on the coal-black horse and sent her home in a whip sissa. Now, what a whip sissa means is more than I can tell, though I consider myself to be tolerably well acquainted with the tongues of the West Country. It may mean, perhaps, whip, says he, in allusion to some gentle intimation 
being freely given by the rider to the horse's sides with a switch, that he should use the utmost dispatch. Certainly it is, the old woman returned home much faster than she went. But mark the event. On the next market day, when she sallied forth to sell her eggs, whom should she see but the same wicked-looking old fellow, busied like a rogue as he was, in pilfering sundry articles from stall to stall? Oh, oh, thought the dame, have I caught you, you old thief? But I'll let you see I could set Master Mayor and the two town constables on your back if I choose to be telling. So she went. And with that bold, free sort of air which persons who have learnt secrets that ought not to be known are apt to assume when they address any great rogue hitherto considered to be a superior, she inquired carelessly after his wife and child and hoped both were as well as could be expected. What? exclaimed the old pixie thief. Do you see me today? See you? To be sure I do, as plain as I see the sun in the skies, and I see you are busy into the bargain. Do you so, cried he. Pray, with which eye do you see all of this? With a right eye, to be sure. The ointment, the ointment, exclaimed the old fellow. Take that for meddling with what did not belong to you. You shall see me no more. And with that, he struck her eye as he spoke, and from that hour till the day of her death she was blind on the right side, thus paying dearly for having gratified an idle curiosity in the house of a pixie. You may be wondering how I know these old stories, but that is a story for another day. The moral of the story is... In the midwife to the fairies, a helpful old woman with skill and knowledge is awakened from her sleep to deliver a fairy child. But the world of fairies is to remain hidden to humans. So when the old woman becomes curious, she rubs some of the magic ointment on her eye. In doing so, fairies no longer appeared in disguise. She now saw them in their true forms. Fairies can't go about their lawless lives if visible. So when the old woman confronts the fairy, she loses an eye and half her vision. This story variant is common in both Nordic and Celtic countries. But what does it mean to lose an eye? In the Book of Symbols published by the Archive for Research in Archetypal Symbolism, the loss of an eye would be highly symbolic to the future of this old woman. For this single act of foolishness, could be the very act that transforms her into the crone. The loss of the eye can lead to something healing or creative, to the opening of clairvoyance, to the third eye of inner sight, transpersonal awareness. The Book of Symbols reports, Lost or missing eyes are symbolic of the potential transformation of one form of consciousness, one form of seeing into another. Hence, the old woman can now become the crone. Old women were traditionally the great healers. Most attendants of medieval childbirth 
appear to have been wise old women whose skills were recognized, though sometimes mistrusted. They used herbs, care, prayers, and enchantments to heal others. They had no fixed point in the structure of society and were physically able to move between worlds. That is true, whether it was the world of nobility or the world of the peasant. In addition, as midwives, they were essential to the process of bringing new life into the world. We don't know much about their methods, for little that was recorded in writing has been retained. This was women's work until the late Middle Ages when men began to study medicine. By the 1600s, the healer midwife was no longer viewed favorably, but had now become the witch. Betsy Hearn writes in her article, Midwife, Witch, and Woman-Child, giving birth and delivering life were too powerfully mysterious not to be threatening. Where there's life, there's death, only a fragile breath away. And women who control life might also have controlled death. This knowledge ultimately became threatening to the men in power. Midwives were burned at the stake way before men began to do more than study medicine. At that time, they certainly never practiced it. And even when they did, they condemned the skill of the midwife while also embracing her methods. Later folk tales mirror these views, depicting the midwife as the villain. These are stories based on Egyptian and Greek mythology in which a baby is warmed before or over a fire. In mythology, the child was in the process of becoming immortal, while in these stories, the midwife gives the child to the devil. Therefore, the crone, when appearing as the midwife, has been both revered and reviled. Birth, no matter how miraculous it may seem, is interwoven into everyday life. It is a process filled with fear and pain. Today, we view birth as a metaphor for bringing forth something creative. In the Middle Ages, women encircled each other during labor. This encircling continued for weeks and months thereafter to help nurture and protect both the life of the mother and of the child. Hearn argues that the midwife's knowledge is wisdom, not information. It has to do with instinct, experience, observation, and values, as well as facts. What each apprentice learns from her mentor comprises much more than plant names and applications. Despite our scientific era, we still speak of the art of healing. Each of the apprentices must learn to honor her creative self, nurture her full identity, and pass on her knowledge in an oral or printed tradition before becoming a master of her art. Accordingly, the wise crone seeks to midwife us during our moments of fear and pain as we too give birth to our deepest and most tender dreams. She is there as a mentor, teacher, and guide. She understands the cycle of life. She has learned from history and experience. She waits patiently even if we are still an apprentice. And it is only the wise crone who can tell us when curiosity comes at a cost. Nick Bantock reminds us that the midwife brings an old knowledge to the table. 
Her wisdom travels back through all history, and her gift is one of understanding. She is the good mother, wise and calm in times of danger. She carries in her chest the seeds of beauty, vitality, and life. And so the crone is waiting for the rebirth of female wisdom and for the resurgence of female arts. The storytelling, healing, spinning, and weaving of the past has often been belittled as old wives' work. But these skills remind us of what remains important. Birthing our lives requires those skills that women do best. Tending families and building communities. Keeping the stories and traditions alive. Nurturing and healing to weave a new world. Sometimes all we need is a kind and wise old woman who can midwife us through the journey. And for those wishing to become crones, there are much easier ways to go about it than to lose an eye. Remember, the old stories are your map. They won't lead you astray. The wise crone knows it's time for you to leave. Your journey home takes you back through the forest. It may at times be difficult, but no fear. Her final words to you are, Remember to stay on the path. Do not leave the path no matter what you see or experience. And so it was, and so it is. Thank you for listening. We'll meet again the fourth Sunday of each month. This podcast has been sponsored by Heart Symbol Publishing, where you'll find a wide variety of guided imagery downloads to achieve your goals and enhance your life. This is the storyteller, Kathy Shimpak. This podcast is narrated by Linda Bennett. Music is The Snow Queen by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Stories by the Brother Grimm are in the public domain. <laughs>